they may not show up today, but they'll show up tomorrow and five years from now and 10 years from now, and we'll be wondering why we have the inequities that we have. You can't fix a problem without fixing the problem. And too often what we want to do is fix the problem by avoiding fixing the problem, which makes absolutely no sense. Truth is, 99% of the time, they really don't want a conversation on race. Or if they have a conversation on race, they don't want it to be honest. And so when you go into an area and you're talking about creating a new community and you care about people across the income range, you're very likely to be talking to someone who would rather not have any people that earn less than a certain amount living in that neighborhood. And you need to be able to put squarely on the table the elephant in the room because it's going to come up over and over again. My name is Egbert Perry. I'm the CEO and founder of The Integral Group, a real estate company that focuses on creating value in cities and rebuilding the fabric of communities. Volumes of research have been published about economic and housing patterns in our country. Several, in fact, have spawned discourse over public policy. A few recently published books, in particular, come to mind. Hillbilly Elegy, Evicted, and The Color of Law. Ironically, as powerful as Vance, Desmond, and Rothstein were in their research and writings, perhaps the most astute and accessible analysis came from Ken Burns, the famous PBS documentarian, who said the following, everything in American history led up to the Civil War, and everything since has been a consequence of it. So much of our public policy, economic, housing, education, and healthcare, is rooted in our nation's original sin. While the multi-generational fight for equity continues today in the city streets, courtrooms, and ballot boxes, in this episode of Create the Village, we explore how, when utilized appropriately, the philosophy behind community development can leverage market forces to unfurl the systemic inequities baked into our existing social dynamics and public policies. This is Create the Village, a podcast about the intersection of public policy and community development. Each week, Egbert Perry and his longtime collaborator Rick White take a deep dive into one of the competing factors that determine the health of a community. Here's Rick White. One of the things that is coming through all of these conversations that we're having is that obviously you as the CEO, but also Integral as a company, have been since its inception on a different path than most other uh, development companies or investors. What is it about the work that you've done? And, and I'm sure there are other companies that are occupying the same space that you do, but what is it that you understand about community development and development and investment that your average run-of-the-mill development company doesn't pay attention to? Well, let's, let's draw a distinction 
between community development and commercial real estate. Commercial real estate just means it's real estate that's financed in the traditional commercial marketplace. So it's using private equity, regular equity, and debt. So commercial bank and other forms of of debt. So it's commercially financed real estate. Community development is a broad topic that covers much more than real estate. So if you think of community development as existing in the domain of Main Street, and you're building communities, so you're doing transformations, you're doing revitalizations, you're focused on people. Uh, Again, I said it's Main Street, and it's big on M as in mission, but moderate to small on profit. It's about building strong communities. Commercial real estate is the other end of the spectrum. It's really big on P, profit, and very small on M. It's not about mission. It's not about creating this great, sustainable, economically integrated community. Chances are when you're doing a commercial real estate project, you're going into an area and saying, okay, I'm not trying to transform the area. I'm trying to put a project in that area that fits the area as it exists today. Whereas in community development, you're in the discussion around, by definition, trying to create or develop a community. Two very different skill sets. And by the way, the people in community development tend to think of, (laughs) this is funny, tend to think of the people in the commercial real estate space as greedy, insensitive bastards only caring about money. And the people in commercial real estate look at people in community development and think of them as lesser beings. They don't know how to make money. They do this soft stuff, this squishy stuff that, you know, who really cares? That's not real commercial activity. And I would dare say community development is infinitely harder than commercial real estate. Because actually, that's the space, the, the, the straddling those two is really the space that Integral occupies, right? Yeah, we are, we are one of few companies, and there, there are others, that actually live in both of those extremes and everything in between. Because you're mixing two completely different cultures and trying to have them exist, coexist under the same roof. And I tend to say, if a conversation starts on the community development end and moves towards, well, we need more disposable income, we need higher amount of market to make the numbers work, and we need to move further to the right, we can stay at the table because we're fully conversant and experienced and competent across the spectrum. If it starts on the right, where it's all about you're in a high rent district and so on, but public policy and enlightened individuals are trying to get you in a conversation about driving affordability and attracting or creating greater levels of affordability. So you start moving to the left, we can stay at the table as well. Very few companies are able to do that. They're either one or the other, not both. And that to me has always been our competitive advantage and our value proposition to any conversation in which we're engaged. So community development versus affordable housing. 
people who don't know tend to use them interchangeably, but they're not, correct? Correct. Community development is a macro undertaking. It includes housing, and if done responsibly, includes solving the housing affordability issue, as well as providing a variety of housing options. So affordable housing is just one very small subset of the community development equation that is being solved. I say small, it's an important one, but it's not it. Along with jobs and education and transportation and other things, you add all those together, you're in a community development solution discussion. Affordable housing is just affordable housing. That's just one piece of the equation. So when people, people conflate them oftentimes because you have to locate the human being somewhere and housing is where you put them. And so supposedly, because it's an important contributor to a person being able to access things, they have to live in some housing and it has to be affordable to them. You are solving an important part of the equation, but it is only one part. And it's easy to distill the complexity of community development into something. And the easiest thing to, that people can relate to is housing. So it gets used interchangeably, but it's absolutely incorrect to make them synonymous. They're not. And so community literally means all the different elements in a neighborhood or in a part of town or something like that. Yes. In fact, the way I describe it is as follows. What people are calling an affordable housing problem doesn't really do justice to the definition of the problem. What we have in this country is a problem of housing affordability. And I'm not just in a semantics discussion. We have a problem with housing affordability in communities where people with choice would want to live. So if I bought a big piece of land and just built 20,000 units of housing that I could deliver onto the market at very affordable prices or rents, and you say, how many people will line up to go there and will we have solved the problem? The answer is not many will line up and no, we wouldn't have solved the problem unless all of that housing stock happened to be in a neighborhood with good schools that was not next to landfills and other environmentally contaminated sites, was accessible to transit and easy access to an interstate, had meaningful employment opportunities and entrepreneurial opportunities that were accessible, was close to or accessible to good health care or health service, healthcare services, et cetera, et cetera. So to make it just a housing problem diminishes the complexity of the problem we're trying to solve and at the same time ignores the number of problems we have created across so many disciplines by having created bad communities for centuries. And we have people now living 
generationally in these bad communities. And if we think it's just let's fix the housing problem, then that would explain why so many people were shocked and surprised at the level of inequity in this country in light of the racial unrest and so on that we have witnessed during this spring and summer of 2020. It should not be surprising if you understood the difference between community development and housing and the fact that we have been doing horribly from a community development perspective and we're going down the same road trying to make it an affordable housing problem without really addressing the community development crisis that we have. Yeah, in fact, I was going to say, the, the, it's not as if what you just said isn't on its face obvious to, right. to anybody who pays any attention to this stuff. But whenever you have the overlay of uh, historical segregation, and redlining, even so-called post-civil rights era, there have been public policies that have whether intentional or not, have continued segregation all across the country. That's correct. And, but, but you know, I think the most important thing, when you asked about reaction or we talked about reaction versus are we doing the right thing now as we're planning in light of all of what we've learned recently or been made more aware of recently, what are cities doing? Well, the truth is what, what I see playing out is a lot of people say, well, if it's public land, it should automatically have affordable housing. We shouldn't do anything without affordable housing. Well, here's my question. If it's public land in the heart of an extremely poor neighborhood or neighborhood with concentrated poverty, do you think the real answer for that piece of dirt is to put some more low-cost or cheap or inexpensive housing when, in fact, what that community needs is a growth and expansion of its disposable income. Because what you probably have in that community is the result of an exodus of businesses and service providers who didn't see a way to, be, to have a viable enterprise in an area where there was no disposable income. So you can't put on this one size fits all and make what I would consider to be just horrible decisions by saying, because the land is publicly owned, it should have a lot of affordable housing on it. It depends on where that publicly owned land sits. And if it sits in a neighborhood that has a decent school and a access to those things that I just described, then absolutely positively housing affordability should be front and center because the rest of the elements of a healthy neighborhood are already in place. But if those elements are not there, don't compound the problem by putting more and more deeply affordable housing in a neighborhood that already has an over-concentration of housing for low-income families because chances are you have the food deserts that need to be filled. You can't get rid of a food desert and have it be sustainable without creating disposable income in the neighborhood. Because if you're locating a business, you're saying, 
I need to be able to sell my goods and services. Let, let's go back just for a moment, because before we go forward, I think it's really important that we get on the same page with definitions. So people oftentimes, and you just spoke about this, um, confuse the idea of affordable housing with community development. And you just did a really good job of unpacking the differences between the two. But can you also talk about affordable housing itself? People throw that term around as if everybody has a common understanding, and that's not the case. Um, depending on who you are and what the setting is, sometimes affordable housing is a euphemism um, that can actually be, have a negative connotation to it. Other times it can be very positive, depending on what your political or policy objective is. So when you talk about affordable housing, what should people What's a common understanding or a common definition that you'd like us to be using in these discussions? Uh, yeah, this, this, those two words are very loaded, depending on who you're talking to. So let me try and give it some good context. I hope it's good. So when I talk about this, think about it as affordable can be low income, 60% of area median and down. The missing middle is over 60 and going all the way up to maybe 120 or so percent of the area median. And then once you get above 120%, chances are you're now in the pure market. There are many exceptions to that, but just use that for purposes of this conversation as a rule of thumb. The problem with the label affordable housing is if you're in a place where households that are on the lower economic end are uh, invariably black and brown. There's a racial dynamic that goes with using the term affordable housing. And you get a lot of reaction, adverse reaction, because we don't mind making housing affordable, but we don't want those people. I tend to change the language to talk about housing affordability, because really you need to be concerned about housing people all the way from zero to maybe all the way up to 120% of the area median, because 90% of your workforce that are providing essential jobs fall between that zero and 120% of area median. And given that, you need the working poor, the retail worker, the first responders, et cetera, et cetera. You go zero to 120% of area median, you're pretty much covered that entire population. So I use the term housing affordability because we need to make housing affordable to that range. You just happen to have different tools depending on where you are in that spectrum. So, so you want to be you, you want to be clear that affordable housing isn't a negative; it's just a statement of financing. Correct. What gets conflated is affordable housing is low-income housing, and that's not true. Affordable housing just happens to be housing that is affordable, but then because that can mean anything to a whole lot of people, that's why I really don't like the term. It's, it's really not a good term. and It's rather pejorative, depending on the setting, yeah. Yeah, and John using it versus Mary, Joe, Peter, Jane, whatever, will have totally different meanings to it but they just use the exact same words. And so you've got to distill it to understand, okay, what exactly are you talking about when you say affordable housing? Integral 
uh, on your 25th anniversary, published a book that you self-published a book talking about the company and the history. And one of the quotes that was in the book, and it was actually a standalone quote, and I want to talk to you a little bit about why it was pulled out. But let me read it to you just so that you know what I'm referring to. Valerie Edwards, who's one of your partners and one of the original, I think, early on members of Integral, said this. She said, we commit to be we brutally, commit honest, to be about brutally honest about what has to be done, who has to participate, and what exactly the partners and stakeholders have to do. Most people don't understand what it truly takes to change a particular dynamic in a city. Our direct approach comes as a surprise for some people. So my question for you is, is why was that particular quote so important to pull it out and stand it on, its own, on a page by itself in your book that was a statement about your company? That, that quote was important for a number of reasons. Probably the most important one is, you know how every time there's an incident of racial unrest, the people profess to be desirous of having an honest conversation on race. We need to have a conversation on race. And it sounds great. Oh, we're open-minded. We want to have that conversation. Truth is, 99% of the time, they really don't want a conversation on race. Or if they have a conversation on race, they don't want it to be honest. And so when you go into an area and you're talking about creating a new community and you care about people across the income range, you're very likely to be talking to someone who would rather not have any people that earn less than a certain amount living in that neighborhood. And you need to be able to put squarely on the table the elephant in the room because it's going to come up over and over again as you talk about housing typology, the design of the spaces, the common spaces, how it's going to interact with the schools and who are you serving with the housing stock that you're creating, et cetera, et cetera. And if you're talking to somebody that's lying to themselves about how progressive they are, you're probably not going to have good and engaging conversation that leads to good solutions. So if you're sitting down talking to an official at, maybe it's a YMCA or Boys and Girls Club, or maybe it's a, a school superintendent or a mayor, or just, some stakeholders in the neighborhood, maybe it's an adjacent university or whatever, and you're engaging with those people, you need to be absolutely clear that you're all buying into the same shared vision. Otherwise, your plan is gonna constantly be disrupted because they're gonna bring certain baggage to the table that will not have been aired or surfaced early enough in the conversation for you to have straightforward, open and honest engagement. So we try to put right up front the recognition that one, the company has, the country, sorry, has huge racial challenges. And if you're in a neighborhood where there is a racial mix, which is just about every neighborhood we work in, then 
that issue is going to come up and it's going to present itself and sometimes in ways that are not productive. So you might as well put it out up front. If you have a school system that is not a good performer and you want to bring the quality of the school that you want to offer in the community up to a standard that people with choice would want to have, you got to be able to have a superintendent that is willing to acknowledge that the system largely has been failing the population that you're targeting and therefore they need to go overboard to create a better outcome than what the outcome has been in the past. So, so let, me, let me interrupt you on that then for a second because clearly you guys have done this successfully. Clearly the company has done this in cities across the country but when you're talking for the for the listener, it may sound a little pie in the sky. So I'm going to ask you a really direct question. Those are not easy conversations to have. Correct. With elected officials, with city bureaucrats, with because race is the third rail that people just do not like and want to talk about. So how do you how do you facilitate that? And doesn't that delay the project? And doesn't it cost more? And I mean, what, what are the downsides to taking that approach? All of the above. It does delay the project. It does cost more, not necessarily just in straight dollars, except to the extent you put a dollar price on the time spent having to engage with more stakeholders than you typically would have to if you weren't operating in a dynamic, in an environment that had those sometimes conflicting dynamics. Yes, it is all of that. But if you buy into the goal, being what I described before, which is how do you create healthy and sustainable communities? It is a battle you have to fight. If you avoid fighting it, then you are saying you are signing up to not create the outcomes that you really should be trying to accomplish. And that's what got us where we are. So this is back to the transformation transaction stuff. Yes. I mean, you make the quick and easy decision. Let's just do this because we can get that done and move on. Fine. We've just left a bunch of issues off the table or have not addressed them. And by the way, they may not show up today, but they'll show up tomorrow and five years from now and 10 years from now. And we'll be wondering why we have the inequities that we have. You can't fix a problem without fixing the problem. And Too often what we want to do is fix the problem by avoiding fixing the problem, which makes absolutely no sense. How can we create a healthy community but not address the fact that the schools are not working or that the place does not have, is not accessible to decent health care or there's a food desert Oh, by the way, there's a 200-acre landfill that spews all kinds of stuff across the community every night. <laughs> you know, oh, the kids are living in lead-based paint buildings. That's the kind of housing that the low-income families are living in. If you're not going to tackle those, then stop talking about you really want to build a strong country by building strong communities or strong neighborhoods, because you don't. You're just lying. So... So is there a, without getting into any particular names or, or is there a typical set of criteria or indicators that, that, that you can 
use or describe for uh, cities or neighborhoods or communities where that type of heavy lift is ready? Um, or do you just stumble across them? How, how do you know where to go with that level of discussion? I, you know, I always say that it is easy to describe the work, but the work is a lot harder because there are emotions behind many of the positions that inform the various components of community development. From a methodology standpoint, it's actually very simple. Here's the methodology. And you would be amazed at how many of us could be community developers if we were so inclined. I could ask you to tell me the nine things, 10 things, 11 things, we have nine, that you need to have in a healthy community. And if you just map those, and I'll take some easy ones I've mentioned over and over, school. Okay, you need a good school, not just a school. You need the adjective, good. A good school or a great school is even better. So that's one element. And you go around the list and there's housing and there's retail access and there's access to healthcare and so on and so forth. And you map these 9, 10, 11, 12, somebody may have 15 things. And how did you come up with that list? You were thinking about this is a community I'm living in, or I'm going to live in, or I want to live in. And what do those things need to be? And you develop that list. Then you're now going into a community and you're saying, how complete is this community? How far is this community towards having all of those things? And if as you go down the list, it's missing items three and four and six and nine, then your community development plan means you've got to put in place three and four and six and nine. Supposedly one and two and all the others are already there and don't need to be done. So the methodology is simple. It is you need to fill in the gaps so that the communities are whole communities. And to do that, you have to figure out what's missing as measured against a standard that has all of the things that you and I that have a little bit of means take for granted. And so is there a, um, when you're sitting in your office in Atlanta and looking out at the cities across America, across America is, are there political indicators that you look for? Are there social indicators you look for? Or is it really just a matter of timing? Is it more art or, art or science? It's actually, first of all, you're talking about revitalization. You're talking about transformation. That, by definition, is a long horizon. So it's all about making enough immediate change, critical mass of change, and then continually reinforcing it to help it grow or mature such that the quote-unquote bad neighborhoods of today or bad zip codes don't remain bad zip codes. You know, in, in years past, and you have to think, there were some progressive people who said, we need to fix the education problem by busing people from the bad zip codes into uh, schools in good zip codes. 
and that was great for the one, two, three, maybe even 5% that got a chance to get a better education. But what about the 95% that didn't get out, that were still in those bad zip codes? There is no way to address the problem of bad community development decisions of the past without creating solutions to the bad zip codes that are place-based. You've got to transform those bad zip codes. You can't just lift people out of the bad zip codes and put them into good. And by the way, you cannot be a proponent of just picking a bunch of people out of the good zip codes and dumping them into the bad zip codes and say, there we go, problem solved. Yeah, that's actually addressing more of the politicians' questions than the affected people. Absolutely. And I look at all of this through the eyes of the people who are suffering from the bad community development strategies and decisions that have plagued us in this country from the beginning of the formation of the country and even obviously before it was the United States of America. As long as this new world was being constructed on this soil, we have been making, as it relates to poor people, and then eventually we separated poor along racial lines and we have good outcomes for people with means and just bad outcomes for people with lesser means, be they black, white, brown, or so, it just gets to be infinitely more acute if they happen to also be black and brown. Yeah, because there's plenty of research over the last decade or so anyway that actually demonstrates that busing was actually more detrimental than in terms of academics and and social upward mobility than if nothing had changed at all. There there was obviously the larger racial issues that were at play, but as it relates to academics, it wasn't as fruitful as I think everybody hoped it would be. Yeah, but uh, Rick, this is this goes to the heart of how we try to talk about our progress as a nation. We find the pulled up by the bootstraps and went from rags to riches, and we celebrate that and we say, look at what you can be, look at what you can do. Well, you should not be judging your greatness as a nation by the few rags to riches stories, you should be judging it by what happens to the overwhelming mass of people, because that's the country, the 80%, not the the other 20, or not even going as far as the one and 2% on the two extremes. It's all in the middle. And so how are we at creating opportunity for the people across that middle. And that's what we should use to judge whether or not we are being good and effective or great as a nation. And I would say, if we use that as the barometer and just stop celebrating the exceptions, we would probably do much better because we'd be looking more critically at whether or not the system is working for all or working well enough for a large enough number of people for it to be viewed as an effective system. Create the Village is produced by Rick White. 
Directed and edited by Brennan Robinson. Create the Village is a production of The Integral Group, LLC. Copyright The Integral Group, 2020.